0: inspiring bold progress movement these are just a few words that come to mind when i think about all of the collective action happening in the streets on the picket lines and on the shop floor working people in oregon and across this country are fed up with a rigged economic system that isn't working for them and they're doing something about it unions are gaining in popularity at levels not seen in 50 years More workers are taking bold action at work than at any time since the 1980s. It's exciting, it's important, and it gives me a lot of hope for what working people can accomplish when we stand together. I'm Graham Trainer, Oregon AFL-CIO President, and you're listening to The Voice of Oregon's Workers, a monthly podcast from the Oregon AFL-CIO. As the State Federation of Labor Unions in Oregon, we proudly represent over 300,000 working people in every facet of our state's economy, and we serve as a strong voice for all workers, whether they have a union on the job or not. We're here to bring you the stories every month about the people and the organizations who are changing what it means to stand together and build power for working.
1: On this episode, we're talking with C. David Cotrill, the Southern Business Agent at IATSE Local 488, the studio mechanics of the Pacific Northwest. His local was part of what almost became a sweeping strike across new media, television, and video production sets earlier this month. That potential strike was a cornerstone of what has become known as Striketober, where workers are saying enough is enough and taking action to make changes at work. Over 100,000 workers have either authorized strikes or walked out on strike this month. Strike Tober isn't just one union, one industry, or one demand. It's a complex web of struggles woven together by the labor movement. And according to recent polling, most Americans support it. Strike Tober includes local 488, who are currently in bargaining with their employers over an agreement separate from the averted IATSE strike earlier this month. Let's hear from C. David about what's going on and what being a union represented studio mechanic is all about. Welcome to the podcast. What kind of work do you and your members do on productions?
2: Well, thanks for having me, Russell. Um, We have uh, over 19 crafts uh, represented um, both on production and off production. And on production means working actually on the live set um, as we are uh, filming. Um, and, uh, And then we have additional crafts that are working off production. You know, those include our our folks in our construction mills, and our production offices, um, and uh, in various costume shops and prop shop and, you know, set decoration. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we represent basically everybody who's working behind the camera, except for the camera personnel. That's represented by IATSE Local 600.
1: Fantastic. So you, you make the magic happen.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Have you always worked for the local or do you have a craft in the industry as well?
2: I'm um, I'm a by trade a property master, uh, so dealing with all of the props that the actors pick up, touch, you know, everything from drinking glasses to uh, bottles, you know, uh, medication that they might take on set, you know, on on, on screen, um, uh, you know, everything you could imagine that um, or have seen on on uh, production that where an actor picks something up and and uses it. Um, you know, that's the, that's the role of the property master is to, is to either gather those things, find those things, build those things, buy those things or rent those things.
1: So it's like all those little details, like when that actor opens a, you know, a specific candy bar, you have procured that candy bar.
2: Exactly. And we've also probably in terms of, you know, product, we've probably arranged for the creation of a specialty label, um, you know, so that it, you know, unless we get what we get what we call product placement unless a company signs on to have their product in the movie or in the tv show um then we've uh you know specially created a label specific to you know that's that's sort of a non-existent product
1: right so instead of like an actual can of budweiser it might look kind of like a can of budweiser um, yes. unless budweiser wants their can in that in that production that's fascinating yep um so what job made you the most passionate about your union? What kind of got you really fired up about being involved and active?
2: Well, it was even before I, I had the opportunity to join actually um, seeing the power of the union where we were on a shoot uh, in, when I lived in Philadelphia uh, for what used to be called MTV Fear um, and building a set and uh, a location around the um, Eastern State Penitentiary there in Philadelphia. Um, and uh, the uh, the Teamsters had actually approached production, and I overheard the conversation with the production office. They were they were l- lamenting that the Teamsters were pressuring them to get somebody on to their show, um, and we were really only in the, at that one location. Um, but being Philly, I said, you know, and I overhearing the conversation, <clears throat> and these were LA producers who didn't know our town. I said, you at least need to talk to the Teamsters. Um, you know, because they have a right to be a part of our show uh, and uh, and they're gonna pressure you. And so they didn't uh, end up talking to them and we showed up on a cold wintry morning and there's only one entrance, as you can imagine, into this uh, antiquated penitentiary, which is not active, um, and there were uh, 15 lawn chairs with 15 bucks in seats and about 30 people behind them, uh, all teamsters saying, you're not going to work unless we work. And all they wanted to get was, you know, one or two people on the show. And so that demonstration, and then also having IATSE uh, currently IATSE vice president from um, from Philadelphia uh, came and was basically the bargaining agent. And it just showed me the power of people standing together um, and to get, you know, to get what was rightfully there, so place at the table, and 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 more importantly, somebody's uh, a day of work.
1: That's really interesting. And um, yeah, the seeing that that little example of just the Teamsters, um, you know, little in terms of it's one action, but that, that can kind of make your whole mind think, oh, wow, this is what happens when a group of people are gonna say enough is enough and do what they need to do to, you know, get representation on the set. And
2: of, and of course, when, when Nazi 488 organized, uh, fully organized Spokane where I was living at the time, um, uh, I had experienced I had experienced on on shows, they did mainly low budget straight to DVD shows, uh, movies um, in Spokane when I moved there in 2005. Um, and working on those shows, I had seen, I had seen various uh, kind of intimidation tactics from the management um, that rubbed me the wrong way because of my experience, positive experience with unions in Philadelphia, even though I hadn't joined or had the opportunity to join Philadelphia. And, you know, one of those led to the production designer asking me, you know, when basically, I'm thinking my second day or so working out with them, you know, if if the union approaches you, how are you going to vote? You know, would you vote to go union? And he was basically trying to intimidate me from the production side. And I, I explained to him, you know, well, first, your question is illegal um, <laughs> and you should know that. And, uh, and secondly, I, I'm not going to tell you how I'm going to vote. So those those experience and build up of just having experiences about how how the treatment of union folk are better in on every job site, you know, and being an active uh, and and then being around active unions in Philadelphia really led to you know me once that call came up or once we were able to organize in in Spokane being fully behind it, because I realized that this was an opportunity that could not be missed by this crew and the crew would be treated better from then on.
1: Oh, good on you. Um, so I, I want to shift to more current current news here. Um, so pretty recently, you know, there we found out there would not be a nationwide strike um, by IATSE motion picture workers. Um, what happened? Why did the employers and producers finally budge?
2: Well, I think it was the demonstrable vote we had. Uh, We had uh, over uh, 90% of eligible uh, members vote um, in that strike authorization uh, vote. And over 98% of those voted yes to a strike authorization, which gave our international president the leverage he needed to get us back to the table, which is what we wanted. Uh, We wanted to get back to the table. At that point, we were bargaining the basic agreement, which is the agreement covering Hollywood workers, but the two agreements that we're bargaining uh, right now—the basic agreement and the Area Standards Agreement, which covers Local 488 workers as well as workers across the United States, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico—had um, had stalled, and so the president was able to take that strike authorization vote and use it as leverage to get the employer back to the table on the basic, and they they wound up with a tentative agreement. Um, and, uh, and then we went back into bargaining on the area standards agreement, which we've achieved a tentative agreement on that as well.
1: So the, my understanding on that strike was like, or that potential strike was it, a lot of it came down to basic treatment of people. Like we want meal breaks. We want to be paid a fair wage. I mean, is that, is that a fair summarization of sort of what the demands were?
2: Yeah, I mean, it really came down to uh, the employers not recognizing or not, not being willing to recognize or bargain in good faith on really core issues. Uh, rest periods, uh, which are for us are, you know, overnight rest periods. Um, typically, our work days are anywhere from 12 to 16 hours um, and a day, and, and that's not shift work. That's one person showing up. I mean, each person showing up and doing the full length of that day um, and then, so we were fighting for an overnight rest period between those days. And then we're also fighting for a longer weekend rest period so we could actually be with our families, have a normal life um, over the weekend, and then increases in pay and increases in benefits. And so it really stalled out on those core, what you would think would be central issues for both the employer and, uh, and the union to, to settle on. And they weren't willing to to move on their proposals the employer was not and so the president that's why the president moved towards a strike authorization vote
1: that makes sense and i mean we'll we'll get to workplace safety issues a little bit later on the episode but i mean you you would think that like if someone's not fully rested they're not going to be as safe on the set and ultimately i mean it's you you want these things to run efficiently and you want the job to get done correctly. You want people to be rested and able to have time with their families and have, you know, (laughs) the weekend that the the labor movement fought for and all that stuff, just these basic interests um, upheld.
2: Well, and I would also add to that, that, you know, our industry is a little bit different than some other industries. I mean, we are manufacturing entertainment, um, but it's not an assembly line. And this isn't to, at all disparage assembly lines and people who work on assembly lines Um, but there is a level of um there's a level of 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 of, um, of interest that is demanded of our workers and and their creative input a level of input that's demanded um for our jobs because we're telling stories right and so there are everybody has to read the script everybody needs to be engaged in when what that camera is looking at and what part of the story is being told um, because a scene, you know, one scene could take us three hours, six hours, sometimes, you know, depending on the number of actors and that's for, you know, a couple minutes on the screen. Um, And so everybody needs to be invested in what the scene is that we're doing and what the story. We got back into bargaining with the area standards agreement and carried over a lot of thing, a lot of the gains that we had made in the basic agreement or that, that, that had been made in the basic agreement. So we really weren't starting back at square zero, uh, but we we did
1: have a lot to work
2: on. And that's what we did last week to come up with a tentative agreement.
1: So the status of negotiations are that you're, you're at a TA and you're waiting for members to vote on it.
2: And so everybody just needs to be fully alert and aware. And if you don't get that rest, you're not gonna be there.
1: That's right. Um, so your your local celebrated the victory, the the agreement, alongside uh, you know the other IATSE locals um, were part of that agreement. Um, but you said your work isn't done yet. Can you tell us more about the area standards agreement and what that means for Local Four Eighty Eight?
2: Sure. Uh, so like I said, the area standards agreement covers um, all of the locals outside of Hollywood who work in motion picture and television. Um, Including the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico, um, and we were we transitioned from uh, supporting the the bargaining for the basic agreement in Hollywood into getting back into bargaining. Uh, we'd already been bargaining for a month or two. So what will happen is that the uh, the lawyers are going through with fine tooth comb and and looking at the, both of the agreements, making sure they're they're all copacetic, and then. And then we will have uh, a week to with the full document to uh, go over with our members in town halls, what their concerns are, you know, what the agreement says, what their concerns are, and hopefully uh, move towards ratification vote, which that would happen over a long weekend, similar to what we did for the strike authorization vote. So a Friday through Sunday voting process uh, via electronic ballot. And, um, and hopefully come out with a ratify- ratification of, of both of the contracts.
1: Fantastic. Well, I I hope that the agreement is, uh, I hope that'll move smoothly and that, um yeah, everything goes how it should there. Um, I know these things can be tense at times. Um, so I, I want to keep moving through current events here. You know, it's, it's been about a week um, since the tragedy on the set of the movie rust, um, where there was a, a discharge of a firearm, um, resulting in a death on, on set. How do accidents like that impact you and your members as someone who's worked on films?
2: Well, it specifically impacted me because I'm a property master and, and weapons fall under the property master's purview. So, um, I am not necessarily, uh, I, I, what I have done on my on productions where I've been a property master with weapons is I have made sure that there's a qualified armorer hired um, because I am not intimately trained in in guns and weapons. Um, I have worked with them and 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 I know how to safely operate and load and clean and and do the basics. But I always depend on a skilled armorer who that's what their career is about, and that's what their craft is. Um, to, to operate the weapons. Um, so it impacted me in a big way. And then and talking to other property masters and prop people, uh, it impacted all of our community because we know all the steps that are supposed to be taken and we're baffled and pained by somebody being put in danger unnecessarily and killed unnecessarily. Um, you know, we're making entertainment. And there should not be on any work site, but especially on ours, where we do this all the time, there should not be any missteps or any uh, shortcuts to safety, um, especially around weapons. Uh, you know, we, we plan these things very uh, meticulously. Um, you know, the there's several steps to the safety process, um, both in, you know, what, what blanks are going to be used? What uh, what level of hearing protection is needed for people on set? What how what's the proximity to camera you know of the actor who's who's wielding the weapon and firing the weapon? Uh, where they're going to be pointing that weapon? There's all kinds of steps, and it seems like there was just so much that was amiss um, in this process. Unfortunately, on this production that took the life of Helena Hutchins, our sister from. Uh, I have see local 600, the director of photography, um, and, uh, and and the fact that there was if there was live ammunition anywhere on set, I mean, that is just a huge breach of protocol, which I don't understand. And, and, and we just all have, I think, collectively, there's a big, huge knot in everybody's stomach right now, like, you know, just that this happened and flashbacks to what could have happened if something went wrong on my set that I was managing.
1: Yeah, because these things don't happen, it seems, that often. Um, you know, the, the last one I think of is like Brandon Lee in the 90s. Um, but it's it's still such an avoidable tragedy. I mean, it, what what types of safety precautions alongside like just firearm restrictions does IOTC advocate for instead? How do you make sure your members are protected and kind of all of these different, you know, you're producing films at so many different locations and so many different places. How do you make sure from the beginning that folks are safe?
2: Well, the critical point for all productions is, and this has been, uh, I think, illuminated by uh, the COVID pandemic, um, is that there is there are safety protocols that are, uh, for COVID, we have a return to work agreement, which spells out specifically what the safety protocols are and what the testing is. But for all of our operations, we have, you know, we rely on uh, safety meetings um, and coordination and plans for safety, which ultimately, uh, kind of the the responsible person or people are the uh, assistant directing department um, and the ADs. And so they should have, for every production set out, well, let me step back. It kind of starts with locations and it kind of starts with our, our figuring out where we're going to be, right? And so doing sort of an initial job hazard assessment as you would in any workplace. Um, and so on our location scouts, when, we're, when the director, director of photography, the, maybe the production designer are looking at the different locations, they'll start to assess what are the things we need to mitigate in those different situations or they should. And then we have particular uh, safety data sheets and safety protocols for various, uh, regular operating, um, occurrences like gun safety. And we'll have a safety meeting, um, at the top of every day. It doesn't depend what we it doesn't matter what we're doing. We could not be doing anything dangerous, quote unquote. Uh, but simply to point out hazards on set, you know, watch out for, we have a crane on, um, you know, over in this area of the set, you know, make sure that you stay clear of the crane when it's operating, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it could go through details of uh, maybe a stunt scene we have that day um, and it could involve a weapon and then there'll be a safety talk on that. So it's that safety meeting at the top of the day is the most critical point. Um, and then having just all of our members be aware that if you, you know, the baseline, if you see something, say something. So. Um, that's the, that's the ultimate fallback is that our members will be aware enough to point out to the assistant director that I don't feel safe here, or this isn't safe or whatever the situation is and speak up.
1: Yeah. I mean, that kind of ties back into what we were talking about earlier with the idea of everyone needs to be so dialed in, you know, through, by having good rest periods and things like that, that if your head isn't fully in the game because you're exhausted, um, and you know it's head in the game both in terms of the script what the shot needs to look like and everything but also just like oh yeah i see that this is unsafe and i need to say something about it um then these accidents you know it's things can happen um if people aren't exactly aren't, yeah aren't safe um yeah just such a tragedy to hear about that on the set of the movie rust um and just mm-hmm. so completely avoidable yes absolutely um, I appreciate you sharing your perspective on that. I figured, as somebody who does pr- property, you would have a, uh, you know, just a, a sense of, of what that of what that means.
2: Well, and the other thing that makes it even more, um, just unnecessary is that the computer-generated graphics that we have available to us now, the CGI elements, are so good that even when I was working on Grimm, you know, which ended in two thousand seventeen we had already shifted away from the majority of our live gunfire because the CGI is so incredibly good. I mean, down to, you know, not just the muzzle flash of whatever weapon, but also to, you know, the 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 chamber, you know, and the release of the casing, you know, I mean, we can put all of that in, in post, right? So there doesn't need to be any live fire, you know, except in really limited situations. Um, And I think that's where you're going to see this hopefully takes us is to into a new era where there is not live gunfire, except in the most extreme need situations. And I can't define what those would be, but uh, I think that producers are going to be reassessing all the gunfire on set. Um, And as you may have seen in the news, there's several shows that have that news that are uh, police related shows that have have immediately move to uh, to banning live gunfire on set. So I think that's yeah. where we're going.
1: So, sounds like a smart move. And yeah, it's, it's amazing what technology can do to keep people safe. It's also amazing what a union contract can do to keep people safe and um, it all yeah. it can all come together. Um, so where can folks go to learn more about your local union? So
2: you can visit our website, iatse488.org. Uh, to find more about our particular local. And you can also uh, visit for particulars on the contract. You can visit um, asa.iatse.net, and that'll have the most updated information on the contract negotiations or the ratification process.
1: Great. And my last question for you is, um, What's what's your favorite film or TV show that you've ever worked on?
2: Oh, well, I had... I had the brief pleasure of, um, of working on Robin Williams, last movie, uh, world's greatest dad. Um, I came in to substitute for another property master, um, and, uh, and got to do the last two weeks and just being around, uh, Mr. Williams was just incredible. He's always been a hero of mine and, uh, um, and such a tragedy, you know, such a tragic early loss, uh, uh, to, to comedy, to you know, to, to America's funny bone. Um, and so it was just a pleasure to work with him. Um, somebody who I, I idolized, uh, growing up. And, uh, um, that was probably, that's probably one of my favorite films.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, C. David, and thank you for the work that you do. Thank you, brother. All right. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And thank you again to C. David Cotrill Southern Business Agent for IATSE, IATSE, Local 488, the Studio Mechanics of the Pacific Northwest. If you liked what you heard, make sure to hit subscribe and please, please, please share our podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever you choose. Take care and stay safe.